0: Good, so fun to be here. Actually, I didn't, I didn't mention earlier. On my, um, on our one-year wedding anniversary, we spent it here in Flagstaff. So um, the last, one of the, la- I've only been up to Flagstaff a few times, and one of the, the, the first times was to celebrate my one-year anniversary. So now here I am on my twelfth anniversary um, with fo- four kids, and it's just, it is just fun. So again, I just wanna, wanna, wanna thank you all for, for. Uh, or having me. Um, also, by way of introduction, I normally say this on the front end of when I start to start to talk, but um, I have a st- stutter, so just a, a heads up on that. Um, I'll admit I am very cold. It's like almost 100 degrees down in Tucson, but it's not that I'm cold or, and, and I don't have altitude sickness or anything. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a speech impediment that'll kind of come and go in and out. Um, it's exciting. It's a surprise. I don't even know well, when it's going to happen. So um, so with that, uh, here's where we're headed. Okay, I just want to give you a heads up on where we're going throughout our time up here. As, as Vince said, we're going to kind of wrap up the end of um, a series right? that we've been in, or are that they, are they y- you've been in, the um, pictures of the kingdom, which I'm going to define some terms um, just to make sure we're all on the same page and we all understand kingdom and gospel and some of those things. But first, um, I just want to share with you some of my story, some of uh, how God's really broken into my life. Again, just so you know, kind of who's this guy up here? Why is he so Passionate, this little like leprechaun getting all fired up on the stage. Um, why is he so passionate? So first, I think a good way to understand it is to hear some of how God has worked in my life. And so um, it began. Basically, my my um, mom and dad met in a pretty radical, kind of romantic way. My mom's from England. My dad's here from the states. He was in the service, and they went to Spain separately. She was on vacation. He's in the service. They met in some crazy ways. Again, it could be like a romantic movie, kind of how they met, all these things. And um, then my mom got pregnant with my oldest brother. I'm the youngest of four, four boys. And so then um, they, they, they got married. They came here. They had my second oldest brother who was born with, without arms. So he comes out, this is like end of 1960s, early 70s, so like they don't have ultrasounds and things like that. And so, you know, everyone's shocked. They're like, what do we do here? Our, our child has no arms. And my dad actually walked out and flipped off heaven in kind of the sense of, you know, if you're there, God, I don't know why you would do something like this. Kind of our perfect picturesque um, life and relationship has now been r- rattled. And it's obviously not my brother's fault. He knows that just so you know, he's doing great. He's, um, he has th- three kids. He's an adult doing great, lives out in Sa- San Diego. But um, he's a big part of the story. So then, you know, kind of some, some turmoil began in our home and our family. A couple years later, my parents have my next older brother. And then a couple years after that, um, I show up on the scene. And I'm kind of like the straw that breaks the camel's back. Like a few months after I was born, my dad actually left my mom. And. Um, and and so it, it, I I sort of joke about that. Just you know, we're my, me and my dad are cool. Like we have a great re- relationship still. We we you know talk on the phone and things all the time. But um, it, it was definitely though, to say the least, it was a pretty chaotic environment, pretty chaotic upbringing that I g- g- grew up in. And so my dad leaves. My mom hadn't worked a job, and since they'd been ma- married, and now all of a sudden she's a single mom in uh, in a pretty rough neighborhood with trying to raise four. B- boys. My two oldest brothers got into a lo- lot of trouble and um, they they wanted to make sure I didn't grow up to be a w- wimp because now I'm all of a sudden growing up in a house without a dad. And so they seriously, like one of my older brothers was a fight Promoter like for me, he was like the Don King, if you know Don King, um, I would seriously come home from school and come around the corner, and there'd be like a group of kids circled up, and my brother would have egged on one of them, and he'd be like prepared to get in a fo- fight with me, so I 'd come around and I'd be like you know happy go lucky, ready to go inside and eat a snack and I 'd have a fight kind of between me and my you know and my snack and so um, so to say the least, it was a chaotic, broken kind of home. And just um, God decided to come crashing into my life in my um, broken family in a pretty crazy way. My older brother, the one without arms, is like 16 years old. Gets a driver's license. Okay, no arms. Drives a car with his feet. And he's um, in his car smoking pot. Um, you know, guy with no arms in the driver's seat of a car smoking pot um, with his feet um, by himself. And. Um, a a knock comes on the window and some charismatic pastor shows up. Um, I I don't know what this pastor's doing in this parking lot where my brother thinks he's all alone in the car, kind of hot boxing, if you know what that is. And um, so my brother, right, rolls down the window again with his feet and is like, yes. And the guy tells him about Jesus. And then he invites him to church that just so happens to me in the high school cafeteria where my two older brothers had just gotten kicked out of that high school. So my mom is like, our life's a mess. I don't know what I'm doing. But yeah, so she drags our family to church and we go to this church in the cafeteria. And um, the evidence of God working in the rest of my family honestly took a lot of years to show up. It was on and off. But as a young kid playing on the floor, Um, God opened my eyes to what it means to follow Jesus. Just a sliver of the hope and the confidence and the healing that comes in having a relationship with Jesus kind of came crashing in and, and no adults really even knew it was happening. My mom was off talking to some other adult. My other older brother was off talking to some other adult. I'm on the floor, two adults are sharing the gospel, okay? Talking about the gospel. And I heard what the one adult was sharing. And essentially I I went home and just prayed a very simple children's prayer of God. Um, I I, I heard about what it means to have hope. I I had nightmares. Again, we lived in a pretty bad neighborhood. Our house got broken into all the time. And I just started to understand, wow, um, there's something beyond my individual current context. And and, and God came crashing into my life and, And just, you know, a lot of people ask, like, how are you so confident? Like, you're a short, like a balding guy with a stutter. Why are you confident? And um, really, I'm like, I don't know. God just at that young age kind of opened my eyes to his bigness. But as we kind of prepare to transition into these, the kingdom stories, the pictures of the kingdom, Jesus doesn't just leave us there with our first understanding of who he is. All right, like my understanding of the gospel, of what it means to follow Jesus, didn't stay at, man, I'm scared and afraid and I need, I need confidence. But um, God, God enters in and, and reveals himself to us, opens our eyes up to the hope that is in Jesus. And then, because we're so prone to kind of look away and to stay in a kind of, in a place, in a mundane place, Jesus continues to to enter in and say, no, it's bigger. It's bigger than you think. It's bigger than you first understood. And, And he constantly opens our eyes. And in this context, he tells stories. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he wants to open the people's understanding to what is the gospel. And I'm sure you guys have heard the term the gospel a ton. I'm sure it's been defined, but just because we can never get over it, the gospel is this. It is the good news, the greatest news that God is making all things new through the person and work and authority and reign of Jesus. And it's the greatest news because um, God created us to live in relationship with him, to live in in his perfect kingdom, to reflect him in every way. And we said, um, thanks, but no thanks. We, like my dad, kind of gave God the little finger and have kind of turned our backs and said, we want to build our own little kingdoms. We want to build our own little ways of life that will be about us. And God could have left us there. And, and just punished us for our treason. But he said, um, I, I will not leave things the way they are. And he promised in the very beginning in the Old Testament, even in Genesis chapter 3 and then in Genesis chapter 12, he said, um, I, I will make things new. I will establish a name that will, that will bless the entire world. That name is Jesus. Amen. And, and, and God the Son comes and lives a perfect life. And then he dies the brutal death to pay the penalty for our sin, to to renew us in our relationship, to, to reconcile us to our creator God. And then from there, he says, I will work in and through you. Vince used the term in the intro, the bride. Now as his bride, the church, corporately, we get to be God's, God's, God's purpose for making all things new in the world and in Revelation, Jesus, um, we see a picture of Jesus seated on the throne who says, behold, I am making all things new. That is the gospel. And then directly connected with that is the kingdom. The kingdom is both the context and the place of Jesus as king. Okay, there is a place. He says that one day there will be a new heavens and a new earth and that Jesus will physically rule and reign over his physical kingdom and that his followers, the church, will live and will be a part of his perfect kingdom physically. So the kingdom and the gospel are directly related. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like and the people kind of lean in. Because they need to hear. They understand that we live in a broken world, that we're trying to hold on to broken kingdoms of our own, sometimes at war with other people's broken kingdoms. And so Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like, and he tells these two stories it's like a treasure hidden, it's like a pearl of great value. And again, the people's ears are perked. So I'm going to pray again just that that, that in this time, God the Holy Spirit would enliven our hearts, that we would lean in and hear what the kingdom of heaven is like and how that has everything to do with who we are and how we live. So that we as a church say all of life is all for Jesus and how that um, is directly flowed out of this kingdom that Jesus is telling us about. So let's, let's just pray again together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we get to be together. Um, I, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will indeed open our hearts and our minds or that you will engage us. I pray that you will draw us in, that we will lean into your word, that we will lean into the authority of your scripture so that we can hear what you have to say. Lord, I pray that we would be transformed. I pray that your kingdom will indeed be coming as you promise and that we get to be a part of that. Lord, I pray that anyone here who doesn't know you, that you are working in their hearts to open their eyes to hear and respond to the gospel, the good news of you making all things new through the person and work of Jesus. And we pray in his name, amen. So hey guys, um, I forgot, if you don't have a, Bible. I think I'm supposed to say that, right? If you don't have a Bible, if you could hold your hand up high. Um, if you forgot one here today, definitely just use this and then um, put it on the shelf on the way out. And if you don't have one, um, please keep this. It's our gift to you. I can say it's our because this isn't my church, but uh, you, can, you can keep this. Keep this Bible. We want everyone to uh, have a Bible and to be in it often. So, um, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, and let me just read that in verse 30, um, in verse 44 again of chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Okay, um, this is a parable, right? A parable is an extended metaphor. So it, there's, a point that Jesus wants to make. Again, he wants to um, just make abundantly clear what his kingdom, what he's all about, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a Christian, how that defines all things. So don't get lost on some points that's like, a field, what we don't even, walking through, who walks through a field and stumbles upon a treasure, and um, this guy is basically, um, he he he's actually lying, and he's deceptive. He finds a field, and then he finds a treasure, and then he goes and buys it, and why didn't he just turn it in? Well, again, in this context, in their day, this wasn't a very crazy thing at all. In fact, people didn't have banks like we have today. If they had, in invent- in investments. They didn't, you know, p- put it away somewhere to gain interest and things like that. Instead, they, they hid it. They would hide it in their house, under the bed, or in a closet. Or if they had a great field and they had a great treasure, they would go and hide it somewhere in the field. So it's not that uncommon. And so Jesus says, it's like someone who clearly has some things, right? Because this guy goes and sells everything. But he stumbles upon a treasure that is like no other treasure he's ever seen. He's walking along and he finds a treasure and it's hidden and he says, he finds it and he covers it up. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. The treasure that he stumbles upon is such that he can do no other than say, I have to have that. I have to be a part of that. And in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has so that he can have this treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like that. Is that how you and I have responded to the kingdom? Is that how you and I have responded to the call of Jesus to put our faith in him? do we um, kind of begrudgingly go and consider the cost of what we have to give up? In this guy's case, the treasure of knowing Jesus, the surpassing glory of having a restored relationship with Almighty God and having all of life defined by his kingship and being a part of his kingdom, do we gladly see the cost of following Jesus is, 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 is insurmountably far away from the reward of knowing him and being a part of him? Or has the distance gotten a little closer in such a way that, man, the, the weight of what it means, I don't know, have we responded to a small palatable gospel that um, requires a small cost? Say a couple prayers, say this thing at one point in your life, give God Sundays, give God a few hours, give God a couple Sundays here and there. Um, I don't, and I know we don't want to ever communicate easy believism. Okay, we don't want to water down the greatness of what it means to know Jesus so that we can put our faith in something very manageable so that we settle for a small faith and we hope in small treasures that come at a small cost that could even be potentially wooed away from when something difficult comes or something maybe seemingly more pleasurable comes. But no, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure that cannot be compared with there's no easy believism. There is a cost. In this guy's case, the cost is everything. But hear me, it's, the cost is basically like no cost because in comparison to the reward, he gladly gives up everything he has. Now, before we move on to the next story the next parable where Jesus talks about a pearl and a merchant I, I I just want to take a moment though to explain this okay because some of us will go to a place where we cannot go right we'll say so you have to give you have to earn your salvation So the kingdom of heaven, to have a relationship with God, to be a part of his kingdom, you have to give up some things and you have to go. And um, so once you do all these different things, then you enter into a relationship with God. No, no, no. Okay, we wholeheartedly um, subscribe to and live by the true doctrine of justification, which um, as the great church father Martin Luther, German church father, said, the doctrine of justification is the doctrine upon which the church will stand or fall. And he said it is solely by God's grace alone, which is God's undeserved favor, through Faith alone, a transfer of trust from self to Jesus, the person and work of Jesus, in Jesus Christ alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, that is how you become a Christian. It is solely by Jesus' work. Nothing we do or bring to the table can do anything to make things right other than to acknowledge our sin and respond in faith. However the way we get to receive and be part of the kingdom is by surrendering all. Because God loves us too much to let us hold on to our own little kingdoms. The cost is indeed everything, but it's because what we are giving up has polluted us. Because everything before we put our faith in Jesus is not God and then by putting our trust in Jesus, we say, I give everything up to you and I hold it up to you so that you can sort it out. What needs to be discarded, what is destructive addictions and things that are completely not of God, he gets rid of. And then things that we have distorted and have taken and made, and made our gods in place of God, he puts those in our proper place. Your pursuits, your academics, the degrees, the family, for me, coming from a broken family, a restored family, a good, healthy family, in a lot of ways became my God, and in his goodness, God says, no, that's a good thing, but it needs to be put in its proper place. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure that the cost associated that we give up and hold up and surrender so that God can make all things new is of, is of insurmountable glory. Amen? Am I all alone? Okay. Another one I like is, come on somebody. So so then Jesus moves on to the next parable, the next story. And he says, because he wants us to be clear, he wants us to understand his kingdom and what it means to follow him. And he says again in verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So this guy, it's a little different, okay? The same message about the kingdom, about a treasure of great value, but it's a little different because this guy is in search of some things. He's searching for finer things, searching for better things. And as he gets more He's a merchant, so he gets pearls. And as he, as he accumulates a few pearls, he then trades them for something better. Does that strike a chord for you and me? Do we live our lives in such a way that we're constantly looking for what's the next point? What's the next? Once I finish finals, are there any students in here who just finished some, some finals? Yeah, okay, I see some heads nodding. Once I finish finals, once I graduate, Once I have that degree, once I have that spouse, once I have those children, okay, good things that we look for. But if they're all that we are looking for, if they're all that we have, however good it is, once we have it, it will not satisfy because there is a greater pearl, a pearl of surpassing value that upon finding it puts all other things in proper perspective. If you're not a Christian in here, I, I just want to speak to you for a minute that um, I, I hope, I want to affirm you're probably searching for things better. If you are a Christian, you're, you're constantly um, looking for better things. You're constantly trying to, right? That's the um, American dream. That that's what we that's what we do that's how we live. And something in that is innately good. There's a quote that I just want to read it shows us that our recognition of things not being the way they ought to be is actually because we're created in God's image. And it's taken from um, a guy, Cornelius Plantinga, who, um, uh, those of you who have taken Surge have actually been exposed to this before. So he's basically in this article that is sin, not the way it's supposed to be. He, um, in this Paragraph, he actually talks about a scene from a movie, from a 1991 movie called The Grand Canyon, where a a tow truck driver is talking about how the world is just a messed up place. And so the guy says this Man, the world ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know that, but this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can. And that dude is is supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. So he kind of goes on the rant. And then the author, Plantinga, says, the driver's summary of the human predicament is just about perfect. He understands the way things are supposed to be. They are supposed to include friendly streets that are safe for strangers. They are supposed to include justice that fosters peace, mutual respect and goodwill, deliberate and widespread attention to the public good. Of course, things are not that way at all. Human wrongdoing or the threat of it mars every adult's workday, every child's school day, every vacationer's holiday, the news online, the news from our friends, and yes, our own experience, give us all the examples we need that things are not the way they ought to be. Is that your experience in life? Have you been hurt in such a way? Have you come from a situation, even now do you live in such a way that you recognize things are not the way they ought to be? Are you like a merchant in search of more? accruing more and more that will meet your needs. That in and of itself is given by God. But the treasure is not something that you can work to receive, that degrees and relationships and purposeful jobs will satisfy. Instead, all those things about our life fall into their proper perspective, are defined by the greatest pearl, That upon finding it, we say, that is indeed the greatest treasure. That is indeed the greatest prized possession that I have to have. And again, there is a cost. Okay, we don't sell everything, all right? You don't leave your family and all the other things I just talked about that are kind of smaller pearls, but they come into their proper perspective. Okay, they they are accents, if you will. I don't know a ton about jewelry, again, I'm from a family of all boys, but I know there are other gems that kind of point to and reveal the the most important part of a piece of jewelry. In this way, the, the greatest pearl is magnified by all other parts of life falling into proper perspective. But, but our predisposition is to take good things and make them ultimate things. That's been defined as idolatry. John Calvin said, um, our hearts are idol factories. We will take good things. I took my family, I have taken my job as a pastor, my, my desire to plant a church and made that an ultimate thing. But the kingdom, the gospel, puts all things into perspective so that we take all things and we put them in their proper place. We say the ultimate treasure is knowing Jesus and being a part of his incredible work of making all things new. And so um, we can join with the um, Apostle Paul, who in Philippians chapter 3 verse 8 He says this, I indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Can we join Paul in that way? As we... Um, wrap up, I want to I ask you to honestly consider um, where you are today, right now. Are you a, a Christian? But, but let me ask you, has your understanding of the gospel, has your understanding of your relationship with Jesus been such that it's a pretty small gospel because it only costs you very little? you said a prayer one time, you do some acts every once in a while that then result in a very small gospel. Let me ask you honestly, could you be wooed away from your faith? I've sadly seen too many friends prove that their relationship with Jesus, their, their, their part of the gospel, their acceptance of the gospel was actually Not real because they were wooed away by lesser treasures, because they never fully understood and responded to the incredible, surpassing glory of knowing Jesus, of surrendering all of life, all for Jesus. Is that where you might sit today? If not, perhaps you are a Christian, you have called yourself a Christian, but you need, like, I do, and like the people in that Jesus is talking to in this passage, you need to see a renewed picture and to respond anew. Jesus, your kingdom is indeed far bigger. As we move into a time of reflection, I just want to ask you to, to be honest with the Lord. Be honest with yourself. Have you lowered your understanding of what it means to? live out the gospel, to be a part of Jesus's kingdom? If so, will you repent, confess your sin, perhaps um, pray with someone um, that there will likely be some, some people to, 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 to pray with. I'll stand right up here. And, and just as Vince said, this is, a, this is a group where we can be intimate, we can be honest. Let's not walk away from here overlooking the, the bigness of the treasure. And if you're not a Christian, I want to affirm you, okay, looking for something new, for something bigger, for something greater is given by God, all right? Because you are created in God's image, you rightly say things are not the way they ought to be. I need more. Has God opened your eyes even through his word today to see the surpassing value, the treasure of knowing God? Of being restored in relationship with your Creator, of being restored in relationship with your Heavenly Father who calls you his son or daughter through faith in Jesus. What would it look like as a church living recklessly abandoned for us individually and corporately saying, I gladly, like the guy who stumbled upon the treasure or the merchant who found the pearl, I gladly give everything for the kingdom? Because I have to have it. I have to be a part of it. And that defines every facet of life. Amen. Let's, let's pray now as we transition and, and move into a time of reflection. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, that you say that your word does not return void. I, I pray um, that you, Holy Spirit, are doing a work in our hearts even now Lord, I pray that as I um, drive back to Tucson, as Redemption Flagstaff moves into their summer of growing together, of living out your call as the bride of Christ, as the local church together, Lord, we pray that we are not um, unchanged. We pray that our eyes are open to the bigness of your kingdom, to the life-defining truth of Jesus making all things new through his life, death, resurrection, authority, and reign. Lord, I pray that you will um, enable us to be honest with ourselves and with you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.